0: Okay, everybody, welcome to episode two of "How to Blank in Fifteen Minutes" with myself, Chantelamy Osman, and Brian Young. Hello. Um, if you have uh, followed us, this is the really exciting second installment of um, hopefully teaching you how to do things quickly and easily, and giving you some tips and tricks of. Um, You know, how to write, how to navigate writing life, that sort of fun stuff. So up today um, is research. Um, Why do it? Do we want to do it? Where to do it? How much is too much? Brian, your thoughts?
1: Well, uh, my first thought actually is I want to tell people that if they want to ask us questions for the show in the future, that they should hit us on Twitter. And you're at Suspense Siren. I am. And I'm at Swankmotron.
0: And those things will be in the show notes. Um, they will. You know, because it would have been really, really handy if we had liked to use our names. But no, no, of course we didn't. No, um, long so, story. Yeah. So it's in the show notes. And yes, absolutely. Reach out with any questions because we're coming up with these topics ourselves. And, and you know, I, I can only imagine this going badly after about episode five.
1: <laughs> so um, as far as research, how much is too much? I think too much is research that keeps you from writing. Um, I really like to sort of do two rounds of research when I'm working on anything that's like historical fiction based. I've written uh, a couple of, of books that are historical fiction and a couple that are uh, alternate historical fiction, but that are rooted in history. And I can very easily fall down those rabbit holes. But there are uh, a lot of ways to, to sort of know that you're doing enough. And part of that is is Doing just a little bit, setting a time limit for how much you're doing when you're outlining the story and getting the ideas for how the structure is going to work, and then set a smaller time limit per day when you're actually working on it, because there will be things that pop up uh, as you're doing the research, but you still want to be able to, you know, become sort of an expert about it. But that's what's great about writing is that you're always going to have revisions. You can always do more research. And very rarely, if you've done the right amount of research, will you have to will you will you do some piece of research in your revisions that force you to rewrite everything if you've done the right amount in the first place?
0: I I think that's really helpful advice. I mean, I one of my favorite parts about being an editor is that I have to look stuff up every day, like those rabbit holes that we fall down, like I get paid to fall down them. Um, and and I learn something random. I mean, someday I really hope this will pay off like on Jeopardy or some random trivia thing. Um, it probably won't. Um, but I love doing it. And I think that one of the pitfalls that people have, I mean, personally, I'm working on um, something historical right now, my novel, and it's hard to know sometimes how much to actually put in the book because if you're like me as I just established I find the little minutia just fascinating and um, I kind of want to throw all those interesting facts that I learned in my research on the page but guess what not every reader wants to learn all about that stuff what would you suggest as far as how much you actually put in the book
1: The thing is, is that so many of those things that you find interesting are commonplace, right? Like if you were writing a contemporary story and you're like, oh, they use toothpaste. Like this is actually something that came up in one of the books I was writing, right? Is I really love reading period newspapers. Um, I think that really helps get me into the mood of the time and the place when it's possible, right? Like we're not going to go write about ancient Rome and go like, let's read their newspapers because we don't have those. But for the last. You may not. (laughs) For the last couple of hundred years, we've got a really solid archive of daily newspapers. And I was researching stuff from between 1910 and 1915. And one of the things reading the newspapers I found is that all the ads, there was something like uh, tooth powder instead of toothpaste. There weren't any advertisements I could see for toothpaste, which is what we use now. I didn't get into the description of exactly how tooth powder works. I just noted that they were using it in a scene and you wouldn't add that detail contemporarily. You'd just say they put toothpaste on their toothbrush and started brushing their teeth. You wouldn't get into that, that extra level of detail explaining it now, right? Like how do they toast bread in 1820? They probably used their stove. Yes, um, they did. You, you, you know what I mean? Like you just say they toasted the bread. You probably wouldn't get into the minute details about it the same way you wouldn't about today, unless you're using that as one of the key tip offs early on in the story about the time period. Right. You're going to want a little bit more detail at the beginning of your story when you're still acclimating people to it. But later in the story, you're going to want to let those details just sort of be thrown away. If that makes sense,
0: it makes perfect sense, and I I think it brings up two other points. Um, I actually it's a story of a editing um, job that I just did, and I had I noticed that some of the slang, what seemed just slightly, not noticeably, but slightly outdated, and there were a couple of instances where like there was something on the radio, and I thought, oh, that song seems to be from like let's say 2005. It's not contemporary. And I made notes of these things in the margin because I was like, you know, I don't know that a, one character was a teenager. I don't know that they'd be listening to this. Um, and it came back that, oh, I guess my clues weren't strong enough. The book is actually set in the early 2000s. And the cues were subtle, but overly subtle. Like, I think they should be subtle, like you're talking about. But there does have to be something clear where it's not just a coincidence that that song happens to be on the radio um, or a coincidence that, you know, it just seems outdated that they used a a slang that is not really, you know, I don't know, hip and cool anymore. Um, But that that became too subtle of the references because I could see that the author was trying not to shove it like down our throats, but it ended up having the opposite effect. It just seemed off enough.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, You really do want to give just enough, but not too much. And I think that's what's hard. But also, in your first drafts, feel free to pour in the detail or strip it one way or the other. Because in revisions, what you're going to be doing is using your early readers and your editors to help you decide where that line of enough or too much is. Right? Because it's really hard for you to get into that mindset of being a first time reader. So that's what, that's what early readers are for exactly. Like what time period did you get? What impression did you get the time period of and how fast did you do it and what gave it away? And was it too much or not enough? And interrogating that, that, that early reader is how you're going to find that line. But as far as research goes, um, it's really important to, Make sure that you're doing it in the right places. Wikipedia is a really good starting point, but it is not the place to do your research.
0: Oh, Brian, you have to tell them about that wonderful newspaper resource that you gave me because it has helped me exponentially.
1: One of my favorites is actually um, that that Chantel mentions is newspapers.com. Um, it's a subscription based thing, but you can search by year. you can search by geography, you can search by keyword, you can search by all three. And it's got it's got some newspapers going back well into the 1800s um, And it's definitely been an absolutely wonderful resource for me. And like I said, when you're going to uh, an era and a place where newspapers are available, soak yourself into that because there's going to be contemporary quotes. There's going to be contemporary attitudes. There's definitely been situations where you can read between the lines to see what had really happened a hundred years ago or 200 years ago that don't, feel apparent or that you can see where they were hiding things or towing some certain political line or another. Um, And it's just, I mean, like your critical thinking skills have to be really good for you to be able to do that. But it, it also gives you a sense of how people spoke, what sort of language was being used. If there are words or phrases that you find in a newspaper that's contemporary to your story, those are words and phrases that you can use. Right? Like no, you absolutely.
0: I got so much from that. And also for anybody who might have gotten turned off when we said that it was a subscription based, one of the things that I did was I did a lot of the basic research first. So like Brian said, like Wikipedia, um, things like that, things that were, you know, just Googleable. And then once I knew what I needed to look for, like he said the date, the exact dates, the exact locations, the people, then I did the subscriptions so that I could maximize my time per money, um, and do kind of all of that research in one place for like a month of the subscription.
1: And the great thing about newspapers.com is that you can, um, save all of the papers. So you can go in and save everything and organize it really easily.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Invaluable resource. And I think that another thing, um, going back to my earlier question for you, you know, how much do you actually include? Um, I think that none of those things should go to waste. Like, yes, the tooth powder thing you're absolutely dead on. Like we would not describe how we brush our teeth today. So why would I describe it if I'm writing something that takes place in, you know, 1895, you wouldn't. Um, But if you are fascinated by how tooth powder works and you think that this is something that people don't know about, I suggest making a list of things that would make interesting guest posts, blog posts, asides, um, because Readers love hearing about that sort of thing. These are great stories. Whether or not you put a couple of them in the back of the book, like with a footnote, I've done this, you know, and say like, you know, this was really fascinating to me, but you don't need to know it right now. Um, but if you want to know more about Toothpowder, look over here. Or, you know, just here's some great interesting things I found out about this person or this place or this thing um, that interested me and might interest a reader. And so making, you know, short blog posts or something about them, I think, That way, none of that research goes to waste. Not that it's wasteful, but.
1: I think the other thing is asking experts. Like everybody loves being talked to by a writer. You can cold email just about any expert in any field, whether they're a historian, a scientist, uh, anything like that, as far as your research goes, and really get answers to your questions. They will respond to you. Oh, that's Um, very true. And, and you'll get the information you need. I think the other thing is read widely um, and soak things in that maybe you're not specifically looking for. One of my favorite things is listening to the Stuff You Missed in History podcast. Mm. And they curate a list of topics that I would have never thought, uh, thought of or researched on my own. And um, just soaking in that historical information, it's it's, you know, like, like really quick doses of history in a whole bunch of different avenues that you can use to apply to your characters and things, or um, they've done thousands of episodes of that show. Go to go to wherever you're listening to podcasts and create a playlist of all of the episodes of that show that have to do with the time period that you're working with, which goes a lot further back
0: than newspapers no, actually, the, the idea for the current novel that I'm working on was inspired by a podcast just like that. Um, and absolutely, it's a good way to immerse yourself, even when you're not like actively doing research, you're cooking dinner, you're going to sleep, whatever it is. And I have like mine takes place in New York. So there's a podcast called, called The Bowery Boys. Um, which talks a lot about New York history. Um, and as far as like those snippets go, I don't know if you've ever listened to, is it the Cabinet of Curiosities? It's the um, uh, the guy who does Lore, which is a great podcast, but yeah. also it's a TV show. But they're 10 minutes long. And in that 10 minutes, he tells two very weird stories. Um, oh, the last one that I'll recommend is, it's called Useless Information. Um, and this guy is fabulous and he combs archives for really out there stories, um, from history and tells them in a really engaging way. So I think the podcast thing is a really great idea, Brian.
1: Um, I, I think as far as other bits of research though, like just nonfiction books and nonfiction books from like competing sources too, right? Like there are definitely, um, I find it very fascinating, like to visit these places as well and see how museums Shape events differently. Like, I one of the novels I wrote, um, that's going to get re released. Um, the rights had reverted back to me, and Word Press, um, from Kevin J. Anderson, they're going to be putting it out again. Is set in sort of an alternate World War I. And I, I went to as many World War I um, museums as I could, both here in the United States at the Smithsonian, but also in France um, and England. And it was really interesting that, to think of the perceptions and the difference in perceptions from the wars, um, based on the cultural identity of the person telling the history. Right? World War II history starts many, like in in France, many years before it starts in the United States. Right? right? Like um, in the United States, we really start with um, lend-lease and uh, Pearl Harbor. Right, Pearl Harbor is really the thing that starts World War II history in museums here in the United States. In Paris, it starts in 19, you know 1930. It starts with Hitler's rise to power. It starts with the invasion of Poland. It starts with the invasion of France. And then so much more of the museum is dedicated to the Free French Movement working under Vichy and under Nazi control. Um, and D-Day feels so much more important there. Um, you know, it was one of those funny things too, where like, um, Eisenhower's like, eh, liberating paris isn't important uh it's not strategically important we're going to press on and we're going to go toward germany but then going to the french museums and saying like the americans didn't understand how culturally important liberating france would be so charles de gaulle uh got leave to go liberate paris because he knew that that would be a morale booster and uh recreate this cultural center that would help them advance in the war effort it's like those different perspectives helped a lot. And you can find that for almost any point in history.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think seeing it from all sides is something that particularly as Americans, we tend not to do or to even look for or think about doing.
1: So that's that's time. I'm sure if you have more questions about more detailed information about research or how much is too much or how much is not enough, uh, ask them and we will get to them in future episodes.
0: Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for this Um interesting trip down the research rabbit hole brian and until next um how to